I'm Taffer. I'm Eunice. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah! Yeah. We'd like to take time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyagahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the indigenous communities of that area. Uh, if you live in Canada, like I do, um, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, and that's a really great opportunity um, to take some time and really consider what the Thanksgiving myth means in your region and what the facts actually are. Also in Canada, we celebrated Orange Shirt Day, which is a residential school's Memorial Day this week on September 30th. So maybe do some research into that. If you're not in Canada, I'm sure there is still stuff you can look up this week. (laughs) Um, So this week we are reviewing The Bone Witch by Rin Chepeko. We are kicking off our October witches theme with this book. I think none of us knew anything about this. This actually was actually recommended by Twitter. Uh, I don't know who on Twitter. I'm sorry. A lot of you gave us suggestions for witch books. So yeah, I mean, I didn't know anything going into this. And Eunice, you didn't know anything going into this? I had heard of this book um, as a book about witches that I should have read, maybe. (laughs) Uh, But um, I didn't actually know what the plot was, anything else really about it. Um, I recognized the author. Um, in just like seeing books that she's written around in the library, but had no idea what the book was going to be about at all. So, but I knew it was on a list of books that um, I maybe should check out. Yeah, I didn't realize that it was a fantasy book, which I guess is kind of a funny thing to say, given that it is about a witch. And I'm not really sure like what I thought about it, but I wasn't expecting the elaborate world building. Yeah. And like you get that, you open the book and there's this like beautiful map on the frontispiece that's like, this is a fantasy book. Um, It's really, it actually reminds me of the books in the, the maps in the Narnia books, like almost exactly like the font and everything. It's really Mm -hmm. pretty. Mm -hmm. Um, But I loved this world. I thought it was really cool. It's very clearly based on Asia, on like the continent of Asia. So all the influences are like Middle Eastern and Chinese and Japanese and Russian. And that was very fun uh, to see not only not only a fantasy world based in Asia, but like based in the full continent of Asia and really like contextualized having lots of different regions and people and stuff. It was very big uh, and really, really, I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, I think the world building was incredible. Um, it gave me like Game of Thrones vibes with like the houses and the political intrigue. Yeah, there was, um, I think towards the end of the book, I was listening to it on audio as audio. So I had no idea about the map, first of all. So I was a little confused about where <laughs> everything was situated. And I was like trying, but there were a lot of names. 
but um, you kind of really get the sense of um, that each region, each like ruler, each um, capital city or whatever has like a backstory and a history um, and a culture that is rich. So I really liked how that was um, kind of laid out throughout the book. And I also didn't know until at the end of the book, like in the audio, um, it, there's a whole like section of like the different regions and the di- different like countries um, and kind of like their uh, what they're known for mm-hmm. and their capital and things like that. And I didn't obviously didn't know that that was in the book until I got to the end because that part was actually read out loud. Um, and I was like, oh, this would have been helpful to have <laughs> at, like in the middle of the book when I was kind of drowning in all the names. Um, but I did really like how that unfolded. The thing about this book, which I both loved and I didn't like, was how the middle was a lot of just, like, descriptions of, like, things and just kind of, like, everyday life. Um, Because as we know, like, the whole, like, the way the story is told, um, it's uh, back and forth between, like, present and past. Um, And there's a lot of kind of, like, describing um, the past and the events of the past, but not in a way that's like super plot driven. I feel like it's very like descriptive and um, it explains a lot of things. Um, And so like in the middle of it, I thought like there were parts where I was like, maybe this is too much explaining, but I could understand why that was a choice the author made because the world was so rich. I don't know if you felt the same way. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I think this book's strength is also its weakness um, in that the world building is so complete that sometimes there's just like pages and pages and pages and pages of world building and like no plot. That is, I, I like... I feel that way in fantasy books a lot. I'm not a big fantasy reader. And like I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about like experiences I have had trying to read Tolkien or Tolkien or mostly Tolkien. Uh, But it is (laughs) (laughs) it is kind of I'm like on the fence about it because I'm like I found it hard to get through the middle of the book. But I also like find it very hard to get through The Lord of the Rings and literally impossible to get into the Silmarillion. So it's just kind of like, well, is that the book or is that me? Am I just not the right reader for the book? But having somebody mm. else say the same thing feels <laughs> like a little more <laughs> affirming. But you and I are not big fantasy readers. Like you're yeah, also, I, yeah. I love fantasy too. I do love yeah. it. But okay. yeah, it would not be my like, like fantasy is not always my go-to. I rather do like contemporary, like because sometimes the world building and all of that while it is really pretty and I do love a flowery book um I mean like within um regarding the language I like a flowery like book um but um it does like I I need it in small doses yeah and like there has to be something else that's also really compelling and and not to say this book didn't have it I really really did end up loving the whole experience um, and I would suggest very much listening to it mm. on audio. 
um, cause because of the way the story is told, I like that someone's kind of like reading the book to me and you kind of experience it that way. And it was, it was like a whole experience. So I like what you brought up about, um, Lord of the Rings in that, like, that is for a very specific reader. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and yeah, like, I think you really need to love like the world building of fantasy and the intri- intricacies of it to really get into the book. If you're mostly reading a book for the plot and it being heavily plot driven, this might not be the book for you. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to acknowledge that like there are readers who really love all that like super nerdy detail oriented world building and and want to be flipping back to the maps and like flipping ahead I agree I think that section that explained the like different regions I think that should have been at the beginning of the book I Mm. found it confusing Mm -hmm. that it was at the end and the map was at the beginning I'm not like sure where that choice came from but yeah it's 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 rich and it's dense I found myself comparing it often um to the bells uh, they're not mm. similar universes, really, but there was something about the manner of writing that brought me back there, and I loved the bells. I really, really enjoyed that um, that series. Uh, but this has like a lot more in it. Yeah, was it the like um, kind of the training yeah. themes and like how she like is an apprentice? She like joins this house and like. And like the tea houses, like that whole aspect of it. So that's actually something that like as I was reading this, I feel like we've seen that a lot recently in books, in like recent releases of fantasies. Mm. So like the Bells Mm -hmm. has that kind of you get apprenticed and become this person. Good Luck Girls had that. This has it. Uh, Dread Nation has it. Like I feel like a lot of the fantasy books we've read in the last year or so have this kind of getting trained away from your home in a house with other girls and something that specifically women do that's Mm, like mm -hmm. maybe you have special powers that I found I find that really interesting I'm really curious about why it's having such a like boom right now yeah I don't yeah I don't know why that is maybe it's like kind of a I mean, I think it could also be that it, like, harkens to kind of, like, a cultural thing, too, where, sure. like, because, like, this, um, I mean, this world is does have, like, really big, like, Asian cultural and historical yeah. influences, and that whole thing definitely reminds me of, like, Japan and, like, geishas and things yes. like that. Um, and so, like, I think for I for this particular book, I feel like that's where it draws from. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but overall in YA, I wonder what the, yeah, the trend is for that. Well, I think it, I even thinking about the other books, like I think it often does draw from geisha culture. Although with like Good Luck Girls, you get a little bit more of the kind of Southwest US bordello feel. But yeah, I just like, I'm just very curious about like what it is and where those roots are. And I don't know because I didn't do any research, but like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I read this and I'm just like, OK, there's some appeal here of this idea of like leaving your family, going into this new kind of career that's kind of a calling. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just really interesting. I found it really yeah. interesting. It's absolutely influenced yeah. by by geisha culture uh, in mm-hmm. this book anyhow. Is this like a YA fantasy version of boarding school? 
Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's just really convenient way to like get the plot going. It's also, I mean, there's also the the chosen one narrative fits really mm-hmm, nicely mm-hmm. with that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Somebody I saw a review say comparing it to Memoirs of a Geisha, which I mm-hmm. read probably 15 years ago. Uh, but yeah, like I I get it, except that it's not as gross as Memoirs of a Geisha was. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think only only in that it like references that type of the culture like but yeah. like any really anything else about it I don't remember like also like only saw the movie and I don't really remember okay it, so. no the the book really like dwells on the history and the training and like here is the older okay. woman saying let me hearken back to when I was young and I did mm. this which I I love that manner of storytelling I really like that storytelling mm-hmm. structure yeah. I felt that there was maybe a little too much of it mm-hmm. yep I mean overall I just I just feel like I did not come in here expecting to like have a really critical review but I guess I guess it's coming out um I feel like this is a 400 page book that could have been a 300 page book mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but I liked I it. it like I, I, I do yeah, like yeah. it I wasn't mad about it because I thought the author was doing something really deliberate with the storytelling. Mm. Um, And, um, and I say this only because so like the, the really cool thing about this book is that um, it opens up in what we I think assume is present day, um, where the bone, the bone witch or the um, Tia, the main character um, is we see her in like exile and there's a bard, a storyteller that comes across her um, for whatever reason, we don't know. Um, and basically he's kind of narrating that part of the story, the present part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's interacting with the Bone Witch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get the flashbacks um, Tia becomes the narrator and she's the one who's talking about her in this book it's her like kind of how she became um, an Asha or like trained as an Asha um, her um, her apprenticeship and all that stuff um, and you get that back and forth back and forth back and forth mm-hmm. um, and I think I feel like the author is really like kind of just making it a really like laid back story mm-hmm. um, where it's just kind of like, I'm just going to tell you things that happen. Um, and I feel like that is kind of a deliberate choice. And so I really wasn't mad that um, it was, ki- it was very long and um, slow. I like that. I like that. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> kind of where I was, where I like, a place I was going also with the like yeah it's slow and it's dense and like it's okay for a book to be slow and dense mm-hmm. I think maybe I, I like get used to when I read YA to like zipping through a 200 page book in a couple of days mm-hmm. and you can't mm-hmm. do that with this one um you really do need to like get your brain in it but I like that tell me more about that tell me more about like how you felt the storytelling go yeah I don't know um I really liked that that it was kind of meandering and it was a choice I think to introduce the world in this way like like I said I had no idea there was a map or like a description of like the world but like 
I don't think it was like a list, like a list of details. I thought that like the, all the details were woven into the story and you find bits and pieces mm-hmm. of um, the world and the characters um, and you kind of just like discover little nuggets of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of like how you would discover different like plot points. And she did that too really well, right? Like how you're like, I have a question about like what what this is all about. Like, why is there a focus on this like element or this mm-hmm. character? And then you kind of figure that out like a couple pages out or like a couple chapters out. Um, that's why I kind of think that this it was pretty deliberate, like this type of storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. kind of like poking around a like poking around an abandoned house and getting the story of who lived there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get like mm-hmm. this detail. But you mm-hmm. mentioned elements and that reminded me that I definitely want to talk about what I really, 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 really like about this book. Um, in a big mm-hmm. way, and that is the magic system. I love it. I it so before I get all carried away being like, I love this part and I love this part. The way the magic works in this universe, it's elemental magic based on on the elements, but not the f- so like when I do my little magic, I use the like four elements, air, fire, uh, water, and um, earth. Can't believe mm-hmm. I just almost forgot the elements, but this is also <laughs> metal and wood. Um, mm-hmm. So six six elements, which I I think I don't know this, but I think that's um, more of a like Eastern traditional medicine tends to have six mm-hmm. six elements, and Western traditional medicine tends to have four. I think somebody can absolutely correct me. Sometimes I just say these things, and I'm on a podcast, <laughs> so people are like, "Oh, that must be true," and it's not. So elemental magic based on six elements, but there's also uh, runic magic. So mm-hmm. you draw from the power of the elements, but you actually like perform magic by drawing runes in different ways, mm-hmm. which is very cool. I liked that a lot. And so there's there's an element also of intuitive magic, like uh, when Taya gets, um, see, I was just saying tea, but since you heard the audiobook, I guess you know it's Taya. <laughs> yeah. My dumb ass over here <laughs> wanted tea through this whole book. Um, I, I drank know. I drank so yep. much tea reading this. <laughs> Subliminal messaging. Uh, anyway, she uh, spontaneously resurrects her brother, and that is how they discover that she has the power of necromancy. Um, mm-hmm. But when you want to like develop and control your magic, you learn runes and uh, drawing on the different elements. Mm-hmm. And that's the other part of the magic that I love, which is that she's a friggin' necromancer. Like, yeah, I love that. That's not something mm-hmm. I've ever seen before. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, oh no, I spontaneously, intuitively raised my brother from the dead, and then he's just a <laughs> character in the book. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's great. Mm-hmm. Very fun to have a young teenager figuring out to, how to wield her power of raising things from the dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes it much more dramatic and hilarious when she loses control of her magic because, you know, in other books, maybe someone loses control of their magic and lights something on fire. But in this one, she might, you know, resurrect someone long dead who then solves their own murder. That or a is, bunch of rats. Or just a bunch of skeletal <laughs> rats. It's so 
fun. And that mm-hmm. like really lifts it for me. Um, mm-hmm. Because like I said, like I don't often read these really dense fantasy books. The last one I probably read was um, was the Tomi Adeyemi's series, Children of Blood and Bone and Children of Virtue and Vengeance, which this also reminded me of sometimes in terms of the world building, in terms of the very detail oriented, very well researched mm-hmm. and thought out and planned world building. Mm-hmm. Um, another book where the author clearly knows her universe very, very well. But I, the moments of levity were just so fun. Like when you're in the mm-hmm. middle of something where you like know this is going to be a big, heavy anecdote because you know that it's like predetermining something because she just told you that from the future and then something just hilarious and bizarre happens and it's so fun. That's so interesting that you found it like light in some areas. Because I don't know if I actually experienced that. And maybe I, like, wasn't getting getting that because maybe the narrator of the, mm. of the audiobook. Um, because I just thought it was, like, super, like, dark. And I think that has to do with probably, like, where I felt like the book was going. Um, and it's not that her power is dark or anything like that. I think that... Um, that wasn't actually that's probably a really good distinction to make it's more of like kind of the world that she lives in and kind of like this overhanging mystery of like what are these devas um and what are they supposed to be doing with them Mm -hmm. and um kind of like the whole like feeling of like okay there's definitely something wrong in this universe and how these witches are interacting with these devas Mm -hmm. um and that's there's something wrong there Mm -hmm. um and like i couldn't i guess i couldn't get away from the like overhang of that um throughout the story Mm -hmm. um but you are right that um because the way the story is told there are so many moments where you kind of you do kind of forget that that's the um thing that like this whole like story arc is going to and there are these moments where in the descriptions of um her like everyday life as an apprentice um you do get that for sure yeah yeah I overall for sure the tone of this is of this universe is dark there's things afoot that nobody really seems to understand and people wielding power and people being oppressed and there is like definitely a sense of imminent danger throughout um and it's stormy and gray toned I mean the the cover art is spectacular and the cover art really Mm -hmm. like sets the tone uh it's dark and gray and you know oppressive and ominous um but I did I found the choice to have her resurrect you know hundreds of rats hilarious (laughs) I thought that was mm-hmm. so funny. Uh, and I mean, I wasn't like laugh out loud. Like I wasn't like chuckling yeah. to myself, mm-hmm. but it was so surprising. <laughs> That's true. And like yeah. the whole character of um, Mistress Parmina. Yeah. That whole funny. thing is just ridiculous. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. that I think about it again. Yeah. That it's a character that you're like, what? <laughs> like why? <laughs> I kept picturing her as um. Isma from the Emperor's New Groove. Mm. <laughs> That's perfect, actually. Yeah. Just kind of just strutting around. Um, uh-huh. 
Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and and um the 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 tailor who makes her uh mm-hmm. her reticule uh re- god don't try to say words right now Taffer who makes all her clothes um yeah who was yeah who's just yeah like so warm and fun mm-hmm. and like this big Russian bear I mean it's not Russia but you know he's Russian mm-hmm. bear of a man who who makes beautiful beautiful delicate garments um mm-hmm. was very fun uh, i also really really like the subplot yeah 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 you know where i'm going with this uh of her friend and who she meets in the like hairpin store what's his name mm-hmm. Lick. and he has a silver hearts glass which means that he could be an asha theoretically except that that boys are not allowed to be asha and mm-hmm. there's this really lovely subplot of them trying to help him uh, possibly become an Asha, even though he is not supposed to. I think often in fantasy worlds, authors kind of change gender dynamics. And like, mm-hmm. like often you'll see like a feminist take because in this world, the gender norms are different. And I mm-hmm. I actually very much appreciated seeing this thing where it's like, no, in this world, there's still toxic masculinity and it's still doing harm to people. Um, and here's one yeah. way that they're dealing with that. And I really enjoyed that quite a lot. Um, yeah, right now when right now when you were come when you were saying that thing about like the um like B plot or side plot, um, I was thinking that maybe like that is also another point of this storytelling. I keep bringing this up because I mm-hmm. feel like it's so fascinating mm-hmm. that like, you know how like in TV series, like sometimes there will be like the whole like, um, like season plot that goes on. Yeah. And then like, there are definitely like filler episodes in between. Um, some like series will have that. And mm-hmm. actually this felt a lot like that, where like you see the overarching, uh, overarching like, uh, where the story is going throughout mm-hmm. like the season of television or whatever and then like each episode kind of like has its own like point in kind of you uh, like carrying that through but then there are always like also episodes that are just kind of like filler yeah um but also kind of add to the whole like ambiance of the world and like explain something of the story you know um so yeah. maybe it's something kind of like that yeah <laughs> yeah oh and honestly i mean in this book i i could not have enough of those sub- mm-hmm. like i would read an entire book that was just about the like people who work in fashion in this city mm-hmm. i love them they yeah. are all so fun and yeah i mean i i also really like the the kind of playing with gender knowing that rinch mako is non-binary and mm-hmm. is like really thinking i i follow their instagram and i like really really like them as a person yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. really like want to just say only good things ever um, <laughs> but I, I really really like seeing that kind of subtle playing with gender roles and gender norms in a way that's mm-hmm. not like like it's not a queer book it's not an explicitly queer mm-hmm. book mm-hmm. but it's a book that is interrogating kind of every aspect of its universe 
Um, right. And in doing that, you know, you do end up interrogating gender. And I like yeah. that. I like that the act of exchanging hearts glasses, which is what you do when you marry somebody, mm-hmm. is framed as something that's very dangerous and probably not a good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like the whole theme of like exposing um, the like bits about this world um, is actually really important to the whole theme of the book about how um like this world like has these norms and has these like um things that are just very traditional right um but i think the whole point of this book is that like there are questions still yet to be answered um and then there's something that you need that like the main character especially needs to like learn to push back on Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the way that, like, how, like, these deva are in this world, but you know that, like, maybe, like, killing them and then having them rise up again, like, every couple of years is probably not the way to deal with them, you yeah. know? Um, so I think a lot of those, like, side stories and, um, like, showing, like, what the history and the culture of of these like uh of the setting is is to kind of expose kind of like the hypocrisy of um of this world Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. is there anything else you wanted to kind of bring up about this book all i have to say is that you have to read to the end and the end is like things happen Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it really really made me want to read the second book immediately and maybe we should talk about like the hearts glass stuff the hearts glass Mm -hmm. stuff is really really interesting um and it was one of those things that i kept kind of being like i need more explanation about this i need more explanation about this i need to understand (laughs) this because it's such a bizarre little note um Mm -hmm. like so everybody in this world has a heart's glass, which is like a necklace that has a glass in it that has like your essence, essentially. And it mm-hmm. like changes according to how you're feeling or what your powers are. And kind of everybody just has oh. them. Mm-hmm. And certain people can read yeah. the heart's glass to know like how you're feeling and what, um, yeah, and what you're thinking. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Mm-hmm. I think I forgot because... Taya starts reading Hearts Glasses so early mm-hmm. in the book, I forgot that not everybody can. Mm-hmm. Remembering that yeah. not everybody can <laughs> makes more sense. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but there's also somebody who doesn't have a Hearts Glass in it. Mm-hmm. Like sh- hers was yep. taken from her. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Um, and then you have the like the forger who makes the hearts glasses. So mm-hmm. what I find really interesting with the hearts glass is that it's um, it's almost bionic, you know. It's almost like a fusion of of your body and technology because mm-hmm. it is something that is forged. It's something that is made. And that is then somehow filled with something of you. And then you have to wear it all the time. And I find that very, very interesting. Like, it's not like something like a birthmark or a rune that appears or your eyes change color. It's like 
very much a like thing that is given to you that is done to you that is forged yeah and also like what happens when someone does take it away and now you're kind of like left like at their mercy Mm -hmm. I think that's also really interesting yeah so I think like I think we're just in this book I think we're just starting to get like the beginnings of what the purpose of Hearts Glass is and I think we're gonna get more in the future books Mm -hmm. that's where I think the series is going um and also because like she does allude a lot to um, kind of like love mm-hmm. in the book and just like who like like the boy I loved whatever I loved like um, so I think that's like there is a big reveal at the end of book one but I know like that's only kind of touching the surface of it so I thought that was like a really interesting way of um, yeah continuing to like grasp the reader's attention. Yeah, I'm also, like, very eager to read the next book and Mm -hmm. (laughs) see the rest of it. Another thing that we haven't touched on but that I really appreciate is just the absolute raw power that Taya has. Like, she is is so powerful from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And even when she causes chaos with her power, everybody's Mm -hmm. just kind of like... Yep, you're real powerful. We should probably get you working as soon as we can because, like, mm-hmm. you're very strong. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, her power, while it is sometimes treated as bad in the sense of being dangerous, mm-hmm. I felt like there was never a moment where somebody was like, oh, no, that is too much. You should not have this much mm-hmm. power. You know, mm-hmm. it was very much just like, yes, it's it's a lot of you are very powerful. So let's, like, get you trained. Um mm-hmm. And the other thing I really loved is that when she describes using power drawing from the dark, it's pleasurable. She describes it as feeling Mm -hmm. like impossibly good. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think often in depictions of magic, when we have stories about, you know, young women like this who are immensely powerful and use their gifts, it's often draining Mm -hmm. and exhausting and Mm -hmm. painful. And I really Mm -hmm. appreciated seeing a story where the protagonist who is immensely powerful gets mm-hmm. great pleasure from exercising mm. her power. Yeah, I mean, that definitely seems to be, like, the point of her using her magic, right? Um, because you see that, like, the the witch she's, like, apprenticing under, right, Michaela, she has been fighting um, the Deva for so long, and you can tell that it is taking a toll on her. Mm-hmm. So I think that is going to be a big part of like the way that power is used and mm-hmm. like what is it, what it's used for in this um, world mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think we really get a sense that the way that Taya uses magic is different from the way Michaela mm-hmm. uses magic. And that is is maybe different from the way all the other Asha are trained to use magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a sense that she's a little bit of, I mean, maybe a chosen one, but maybe just a little bit of a of a creative, I don't know, I lost the word I was going to use, but like she's she <laughs> is so intuitive about the way she uses mm-hmm. it that she yep. has kind of bypassed a lot of the training. And in that sense, she's kind of, creatively coming up with a new way 
or perhaps a very, very old and lost way of doing her magic. Absolutely. And she does it so, it comes so naturally to her that she's very confident in it. And so Mm -hmm. she doesn't get kind of taught out of it. And that is really cool. I think that doesn't get depicted enough. That kind of Mm -hmm. like sometimes your intuitive skill or power that you have, even if it looks different from how your teachers use it or engage with it, like maybe the way that you do it intuitively is the right way and is a good way and is like new and more powerful. Because, yeah, you do get the sense that Michaela gets drained, but Taya gets replenished and that I think we do kind of get a sense that it is because of their different relationship to the act Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. necromancy. But it's interesting because when you think about it, like necromancy is in a way life giving. Mm-hmm. It's just also spooky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it's cool. It's interesting. You got me all excited. Yeah, I came yeah. in here all negative, and now I'm like, you're just reminding me of all the things that See? I really, really, really like. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I'm just like, I really, I just really liked so much about this book. And it reminded me of so much that I like about fantasy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it just gave me like really good feelings about it. And also because, like, as you were saying, um, like her whole, um, Thing. the the whole thing in this book is that if you're like reading it from kind of the bard's point of view um you kind of see that like she's been made out as a villain or whatever um but like when you see her past and kind of like what she goes through you're like i don't know how this person could be a villain right like um it's kind of it's kind of taking the whole like like necromancy can be like evil or whatever but then like maybe turning it on its head um because of i don't know what reason yet but like you you get the feeling of like oh like she's not evil like we're rooting for her and Mm -hmm. it's because of her relationship to the magic right Mm -hmm. it's we we get to see the way that um she's relating to her power and how she's using it and you're very sympathetic towards her um, and like want to like cheer her on yeah absolutely anyway also just such a badass title the bone witch Mm -hmm. is a badass Mm -hmm. title it's cool (laughs) it makes me want to be a bone witch it's cool (laughs) absolutely yeah so yeah i mean enjoyed it looking forward to the rest of the books Looking forward to this witch series. I'm very excited about this witch series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be reading some good books. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yeahpodcast and individually. I'm at Bear, And I'm on Instagram at the unicorn dudes of book unicorn with the e. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. You also get to know our schedule ahead of time so you can pre-read. Uh, shout out to our patrons, Catherine Reshi, Erica Stitchberry, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, Matt Dever, Megan Jane, and Emily Patton. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. 
You can also always support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend, maybe a friend who's really looking for a new fantasy read. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song, Jenny's Groove, as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by me, Tefra Jemian, and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. And actually, if you would like to be one of the shows on our great network, the Upford Network is currently accepting pitches for shows. Uh, so if you have a show, especially if you are from, uh, as a network, we focus on amplifying marginalized voices or voices that we don't hear as often in podcasting. So if that's you, and if you have a pitch for a show, it can be any kind of show, you can head to upwardnetwork.com to find out how to pitch. Hello, my name is Stefan, and I am the host of a show called Some Good Friends, and it's a podcast, and it will make you laugh, and we talk to some of my good friends, and they're crazy and hilarious and wacky, and you're going to love them just as much as I do. Currently, while I'm recording this, I forgot to mute all my other takes, so I'm hearing myself say different words in my ears. The show comes out every Monday, weekly. Hi there, I'm Nick Hughes, the son. And I am James Hughes, the father. Together, we co-host Canada's Young Leaders, a podcast exploring bold ideas for our country's future. Our third and final season focuses specifically on climate change, how we got here, and where we need to go. We'll be speaking with young environmental leaders about the roles of governments, corporations, and individuals in combating this crisis, and also thinking about the role of the COVID-19 pandemic in the climate movement. So, if you're someone who is concerned about climate change and wants to learn more, check out Canada's Young Leaders, a very proud member of the Upford Network.